Welcome to the Code Life podcast with me, Carl Beach, and my great mate, Nathan Blackaby. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. I was just uh, reflecting, actually. I was um, yeah. talking to my daughter, studying in London, hmm. uh, FaceTime, oh, about yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah, catching up. And yeah. she said, uh, Dad, said, uh, you know, good podcasts. She, yeah, she's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, had listen. she, said, uh, she said, um, you got a podcast voice. I said, have I? She said, yeah. So what's it like? She went, dark. <laughs> so I'm, I'm concentrating now. I mate, think you have, actually. Podcast yeah. voice. I think it's the settings on the... Um, well, I mean, look at, the, look at the peaks in that graph. Look, that's me talking normally, top one. Yeah. Now do you. Welcome to the Code Life podcast. <laughs> it's quite intense. Yeah, it's intense. Czechoslovakia. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And worth just saying, we're on video as well. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're trying so to put these out. Um, yeah. Did you tense it? No, that's me natural. Did you uh, tense? That, no, that left arm tense. Oh, right. So uh, we'll put that through a black and white filter. I'll add some shadow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that'll be good. So uh, anyway. Go on, mate. Uh, you know, we like looking at different books and stuff. And, yeah. And uh, I came across this YouTube video uh, by a guy called William H. McGraven, who is a US Navy SEAL right. uh, for his career. And I'll just read the back here because mm. uh, many, many people will know of this YouTube video and he turned it into a book. It's a number one New York Times bestseller. Okay. Wall Street Journal said a book to inspire your children and grand- grandchildren to become everything they could be. Uh, superb, smart and succinct Forbes. And the headline was, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Mm. On May 17th, 2014, Admiral William H. McGraven addressed the graduating class of the University of Texas at Austin on their commencement day, taking inspiration from the university's slogan, what starts here changes the world. He shared the 10 principles he learned during Navy SEAL training that helped him overcome challenges not only in his training and long naval career but also throughout his life and he explained how anyone can use these basic lessons to change themselves and the world for better uh, told it says with great humility and optimism and uh, this timeless books, uh, book provides simple and universal wisdom practical advice and words of encouragement that inspire readers to achieve more even in life's darkest moments mm. now, I thought it'd be good just to skim through mm. some of it maybe That's over good, a few mate. different podcasts and obviously we want to compare that to what the bible teaches and, yeah as um, always yeah yeah because uh, there's human wisdom there's the wisdom of God yeah uh, so obviously you want to check that out too uh, if that in mind I'm just going to uh, fetch my uh, Alan Goatskin uh, bible I've got me highlighting tools here come on anyone uh looking on the video uh, this is uh this That's is what point. i store my yeah. uh, stuff in here so i keep it like that look at that i've got so, the uh, pigma microns uh me crayola twisties for highlighting and uh, i find these pens they don't bleed through so there you go well worth uh checking this out as well on the video uh you'll get to yeah just enjoy the podcast but in video form that's it and often we're talking about stuff like these bibles this is my goatskin uh csb beautiful beautiful bible great mate gave me that uh great mate. i had to buy my own crayolas yeah and uh this yeah so i'm an nasb guy uh there we go never far from my side okay so uh make your bed little things that change your life and maybe the world 
for those who don't know what a SEAL is, I suppose uh, SEAL Team 6 were kind of the equivalent of our SBS. Right, and the special seals boat are, service. Yeah, and uh, the SEALs are like Tier 2 uh, special forces, so they're kind of like our Royal Marine Commandos. I so would not say. as good as our SAS? No, I'd, SEAL Team 6 would be an equivalent, or like Delta Force, I think. Almost as good. Almost that very close. Yeah. So they'd have, you know, they'd operate like commandos. Mm. I, I mean, like U.S. Marines, I don't think are like our Royal Marine commandos. No, no. But they're, they're, you know, so I think anyway. Yeah. Let's move on because we don't want to cause a cross Atlantic controversy. <laughs> the barracks at Basic Seal Training is a nondescript three-story building located on the beach at Coronado, California, just 100 yards from the Pacific Ocean. There is no air conditioning in the building and at night with the windows open you can hear the tide rolling and the surf pounding against the sand. Rooms in the barracks are Spartan. In the officer's room where I berthed with three other classmates there were four beds, a closet to hang your uniforms and nothing else. Those mornings I stayed in the barracks I would roll out of my navy rack and immediately begin the process of making my bed. It was the first task of the day, a day that I knew would be filled with uniform inspections, mm. long swims, longer runs, obstacle courses, and constant harassment from the SEAL instructors. Mm. Apparently SEAL training is renowned to yeah, be yeah. brutal. Mm. Attention, shouted the class leader, uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Dan L. Stewart. Now, I just did the Americanisation there in mm. respect to the book because actually the British say Lieutenant. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Got to get it right. Yeah, get it right. Standing at the foot of the bed, I snapped my heels together and stood up straight as the Chief Petty Officer approached my position. The instructor, stern and expressionless, began the inspection by checking the starch in my green uniform hat to ensure the eight-sided cover was crisp and correctly blocked. Moving from top to bottom, his eyes looked over every inch of my uniform. Were the creases in the blouse and trousers aligned? Was the brass on the belt shined to a mirror-like radiance? Were my boots polished bright enough so that he could see his fingers in their reflection? Satisfied that I met the high standards expected of a SEAL trainee, he moved to inspect the bed. Mm. The bed was as simple as the room, nothing but a steel frame and a single mattress. A bottom sheet covered the mattress and over that was a top sheet. A grey wool blanket tucked tightly under the mattress provided warmth from the cool San Diego evenings. A second blanket was expertly folded into a rectangle at the foot of the bed. A single pillow made by the lighthouse of the blind was centred at the top of the bed and intersected at a 90 degree angle with the blanket at the bottom. This was the standard. Any deviation from this exacting requirement would be cause for me to hit the surf and then roll around on the beach until I was covered head to toe with wet sand, referred to as a sugar cookie. Standing motionless, I could see the instructor out the corner of my eye. He wearily looked at my bed. Bending over, he checked the hospital corners and then surveyed the blanket and the pillow to ensure they were correctly aligned. Then reaching into his pocket, he pulled out a quarter flipped it in the air several times to ensure I knew the final test of the bed was coming and with one final flip the quarter flew high into the air came down on the mattress with a light bounce it jumped several inches off the bed high enough for the instructor to catch it in his hand swinging around to face me the instructor looked me in the eye and nodded he never said a word 
making my bed correctly was not going to be an opportunity for praise. It was expected of me. That's something we'll pick up mm. on in a bit. Okay. I think talk about the nature of praise, when to give, when not to give. Yeah, you know, how does that work? Yeah. It was my first task of the day and doing it right was important. It demonstrated my discipline. It showed my attention to detail. And at the end of the day, it would be a reminder that I had something, I had done something well, something to be proud of, no matter how small the task. Throughout my life in the Navy, making my bed was the one constant I could count on every day. As a young SEAL ensign aboard the USS Greyback, a special operations submarine, I was berthed in sick bay where the beds were often stacked far high. The salty old doctor who ran sick bay insisted that I made my rack every morning. He often remarked that if the beds were not made and the room was not clean, how could the sailors expect the best medical care? As I later found out, this sentiment of cleanliness and order applied to every aspect of military life. And so the mm. book opens. Mm. Now, I just feel that, you know, the Bible does speak a lot about discipline. Mm. Um, but I do wonder where we're at in our culture mm. with discipline. And it would be an interesting chat, I think, to explore yeah. the yeah. nature of that. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I've, I've always wondered at these disciplines that the military have. Yeah. Like making your bed to that degree, polishing shoes and belts, and yeah. you think, uh, what is that about? But is is it? It's purely about establishing discipline and the ability to be hard routined like that, so that in the in the battle scenario, your discipline is paramount to your f- success in mission. Mm. Is that right? I don't well, know. I, I think a lot of it must be around. Well, let's let's. T- it must be around the, the fashioning of uh, the ability to follow orders. Right. So and, conditioning, like process. Yeah, I think what they do is they deconstruct you, and then make you into a, a warrior, make you into a soldier. Yeah. Uh, the last thing you want on a battlefield, I would imagine, is you know, I say to a young soldier, "Put your machine gun over there and fire that way." Yeah. And yeah. Goes, oh, I'll do it in a minute. Yeah. You know. It's it's building in yeah, order and discipline, isn't it? But you don't want to lose no. people's creativity and flair either, do you? No, See, and that's where the extreme. I remember reading a book about um, two sisters that survived Auschwitz, and they said one of the hardest things about it was that the hard labour they were forced to do was meaningless. Right. So they would dig a hole, carry the soil across, dump it, and then another team would dig that soil and put it back in the hole. Yeah. So it's like the discipline and routine, but it's just totally monotonous. There's absolutely no function to it. It was just to destroy you. Well, you don't um, want bed making to become like that, do you, as a soldier? Oh, dear. Is that what it's doing? It's like deconstructing. Or is it esprit de corps? Is it pride? Maybe. Because he, yeah. he, he goes on to say that if you want to change the world, you, you accomplish one task straight away. Right. That's his. That's his. Uh, that's his whole thing, really. So, hear about this. Uh, <clears throat> back to the book, page eight. During the ensuing ten years, uh, oh no, here we are. I'll start a bit earlier uh, in page eight. In December two thousand three, U.S. forces captured Saddam Hussein. He was mm. held in confinement during which time he kept him in a small room. 
You also slept on an army cot, but with the luxury of sheets and a blanket. Once a day, I would visit Saddam to ensure my soldiers were properly caring for him. I noticed with some sense of amusement he didn't make his bed. The covers always crumpled at the mm. foot of his bed, and he rarely seemed inclined to straighten them. During the ensuing ten years, I had the honour of working some of the finest men and women this nation's ever produced. From generals to privates, from admirals to seamen recruits, from ambassadors to clerk typists. The Americans who deployed overseas in support of the war effort came willingly sacrificing much to protect this great nation. They all understood that life is hard and that sometimes there's little you can do to affect the outcome of your day. In battle, soldiers die, families grieve, your days are long and filled with anxious moments. You search for something that can give you solace, that can motivate you to begin your day, that can be a sense of pride in an oftentimes ugly world. But it is not just combat. It's daily life that needs this same sense of structure. Mm. Nothing can place the st replace the strength and comfort of one's faith. But sometimes the simple act of making your bed can give you the lift you need to start your day and provide you with the satisfaction to end it right. If you want to change your life and maybe the world, mm. start off by making your bed. Mm. <laughs> it's basically this principle of mm. you've done something. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you think then that's got some kind of psychological foundation for the day? As you get up, you've made your bed, you've you've achieved something, and you go on to achieve. I d well, I, I think we all might have our thing. So, like my dad instilled in me the need for clean shoes. Clean shoes. Clean shoes. Oh, sorry about. That. Yeah. Yeah, he was a man that liked clean shoes. And uh, so he's still there. So I never went out with dirty shoes. And to this day, if I see my shoes are dirty, I have to clean them. Like I like, and it, there is, is it, there is some sense of order. Why is it I can't, I don't like a bit of dirt on my shoes. Was that conditioning from my dad? Mm. Or is it an element of discipline in my life? That if that is right, everything else will fall into place. Mm. Do you make your bed? Um, <clears throat> when I get out of it, immediately. Yeah. No. No, I, but having said that, so so I've got a couple of definitions on making it. I throw the covers back to cover the gap I've just got out of. Yeah. If that makes sense. But we've got a duvet, a top cover, pillows. So making it and presenting it nicely, no. But I do cover the hole I've just got out of and, and tidy up yeah yeah but I don't kind of press it or make it nice because Jen's still in bed be a bit weird like half four in the morning <laughs> I'm she just making the she bed can't, sweet she up. can't move it's all tightened down <laughs> I'm just tucking bounce it a, bounce a coin off her yeah Boom. she's got like eight cushions piled yeah, on her face yeah yeah I've just made the bed so sweet up. 1 Corinthians nine twenty four. do you not know that all those who run in the race all run but only one receives a prize run in such a way that you may win everyone who competes in the games exercises self control in all things mm. they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we are we and imperishable therefore I run in such a way not without aim I box in such a way as not beating the air uh, cool is that the box that's cool being boxed but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So even the Bible, like Paul the Apostle, the great apostle, talks about yeah. discipline. <clears throat> it's, it's very interesting. We 
I think there is a lack of discipline yes. in our society today. Yeah, I agree. My kids, for example, I'm trying to teach them, we're trying to teach them as a family, discipline. So after you eat tea at the table, yeah. you take your plate, you do your scrapes, you put it in the dishwasher. Yeah. The amount of times you have to reinforce that discipline. Yeah. It's phenomenal. They just get up and walk off. I'm trying to create a sense of gratitude, a sense of there's a process here. I don't just turn up and eat and walk away. Like I realise stuff gets cleaned. There's a there's a cycle, and I'm part yeah. of it. Um, I, I think we need desperately need discipline, and this might be an extension of the example here. But I think a lot of the trouble we have in London, the the gangs, the crime, Life crime. stabbings, mm. is through lack of discipline. I think. Hear me out. I think it's got to do with guys, young guys, looking for identity, looking for purpose, looking for value, and feel like the discipline and commitment to the gang is where they find their identity. But that suggests we failed them in some way as society. We failed to put in place disciplines and structures that teach these lads how to value another life, you know, how to to, to conduct yourself in, in the town and and live at peace with other people. I'm reading this book at the moment about a serial killer. Mm. <laughs> it's a biographical... Like bedtime reading. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, it's, it's a quite a deep analysis. It's his own story, actually. Mm. And, I mean, he, he doesn't take any responsibility for his actions, really, right. in the book. But what he does say, is he says, you created me. Mm. I was bullied. I didn't know. I had a violent father. I was in an institution at age 11. You mm. made me into this monster. Mm. You do wonder. I mean, not everyone who has a bad childhood becomes an utter psycho. Some no. people become good people. It's yeah. a choice. But he does say, you know, you cause this. And you do wonder how much of this stuff going on in society is because people didn't have routines, disciplines, boundaries. You know, my dad set boundaries yeah, yeah. for me. You know, yeah. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I was a little bit afraid of my dad in a good way. I mm. knew he loved me, but I was also a little bit, you know, I had a good, a healthy respect. Yeah, so yeah. If you said, yeah. don't do it, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um. It's, it's very interesting. And, and like, we, we were talking this earlier about disciplines in fitness, boxing, martial arts. Yeah. Like, like my son, blessing me, starts martial arts, karate. Soon got fed up with it. Because yeah. it's tiring, isn't it? It's like, it's effort, it's discipline yeah. to be committed to something. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly something that's uh, missing, I think. In yeah. society. Well, I think that's the main takeaway. I mean, I'm not saying everyone should... I'm not necessarily agreeing with him. You want yeah. to change the world, make your bed, but I get his point. There is a distinct lack of discipline and routine. And and it, it can be... I've noticed that when I've been training for a marathon mm. and I have to set my alarm and get out at a certain time, mm. or if I get up for a job and I get up at a certain time every day when yeah. I was commuting, that, that order did, did bring about something positive <clears> in me as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying. It's interesting. I've got this app on my phone called Lose It, and I'm, as you know, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight, not a lot, just yeah. about ten pound stone, something like that. And it causes me to log everything I eat, and and that discipline I've actually found over the last week and a half to be really that's amazing. Enjoyable. That you do that, yeah. Yeah, like you scan all the barcodes and it tells you what your calories are, and yep. the budget I'm on of calories. And I've found that that discipline, so like if I'm sitting down for when a you beer. When you've got to break through the pain barrier. Like, pain barrier. The pain barrier. Yeah. Like when I do running and, I, and I'm starting again. Yeah. And I'm building up, I want to do 47 miles for yeah. 47 years. 
when you first out, it's like it's horrible. But then you start looking at your stats and you're getting fast and you, yeah. you've got to get out and yeah, you yeah. build that routine in. Yeah. You actually weirdly feel liberated too, don't you? Yeah, I think so. But if you go too far, you're in a prison. See, that's that's the slippery slope, isn't it? There's yeah. A, there's a How line. How far there. do you take it? Because you want to be free as well, didn't you? Yeah. Back to the book, but just to give you another example of, of mm. this, uh, it has, it's a small book. It's physically a small yeah, book, yeah. but it's a little bite-sized chunks. So n- another chapter is, if you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart. Right. So I thought it was in- interesting. I went to the beach with my black rubber flippers tucked underneath my right arm, my mask in my left hand. Coming to parade rest, I anchored the flippers in the soft sand, leaning against... Uh, each other to form a teepee standing to my right and left was other students dressed in green t-shirts khaki swim trunks neoprene booties a small life jacket we were preparing for our morning two mile swim wow it's <laughs> still traded yeah the life jacket was a small rubberized bladder that inflated only when you pulled the handle. Among the students, it was considered shameful if you'd used your life jacket. Still, the SEAL instructors were required to inspect every life jacket before each swim. This inspection also gave the instructors an opportunity for more harassment. The surf off Coronado that day was about eight feet high. The waves were coming in lines of three, plunging with a roaring sound to make each student heart beat a bit faster. As the instructor slowly moved down the line, he came to the man directly to my right. The student, a seaman recruit and brand new to the Navy, was five foot four in height. The SEAL instructor, a highly decorated Vietnam vet, was well above six two and towered over the smaller man. After inspecting the student's life jacket, the instructor looked over his left shoulder toward the pounding surf, reached down and grabbed the student's flippers. Holding them close to the young sailor's face, he said quietly, Do you really want to be a frogman? The sailor stood up straight with a look of defiance in his eyes. Yes, instructor, I do, he shouted. You're a tiny little man, the instructor said, waving the flippers in his face. (laughs) Those waves out there could break you in half. He paused and glanced towards the ocean. You should think about quitting now before you get hurt. Now, at that point, some people I know would roll over and cry, (laughs) wouldn't they? I don't want to do it anymore. I I know what you do to me. Stuff you. Yeah. <laughs> Even out of the corner of my eye, I could see the student's jaw begin to tighten. <laughs> That's exactly what I'd be like. I won't quit, the sailor replied, drawing out each word. I won't quit. Then the instructor leaned in and whispered something in the student's ear. I couldn't even make out the words over the breaking waves. After all the trainees were inspected, the instructors ordered us out into the water and we began our swim. An hour later, I crawled out of the surf zone and standing on the beach was a young seaman recruit. He had finished a swim near the head of the class and later that day, I pulled him aside and asked what the instructor had whispered to him. He smiled and said proudly, Prove me wrong. He's calling it. Seal training was always about proving something, proving that size didn't matter, proving that the colour of your skin wasn't important, proving that money didn't make you better, proving determination and grit were always more important than talent. That's Mm. a statement. Mm. Determination and grit were always yeah, more yeah. important than talent. I was fortunate to learn that lesson a year before training began. And uh, there's another bit which I, I, I do want to read in just a moment uh, where he has this astonishing encounter in uh, when he was first in Naval Reserve officers' training. But uh, what do you think about that? I find it interesting, mate. Uh, the, the comment on the talent bit, uh, that's something Alex Ferguson says or used to say about his footballers in his book about leadership. 
But um, I, I think this is an interesting example because, it, in a sense, it's enforced discipline. Yeah. Like these guys, they've sold up. They they, they want to be seals, so they've they've come into this seal training program and they've said, I will submit and be part of this discipline yeah, training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the thing, the issue I've got is. How does that work with the bloke who's not in that enforced discipline scenario or, or situation? For example, the average bloke, you and me, we're not training to be SEALs. Yeah. How do we discover and mine this heart of discipline when it's not being enforced by anyone else? It's almost got to come from within. We almost set that discipline ourselves. Does that make sense? I think the Lord sends discipline right. to us. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to... I mean, I've got one passage here, but I was trying to think of... Uh, there is an example somewhere where where that was a pinch of just coming in there asking if you want a cup of tea for those looking at the video. Let's have a cup of tea. I do think the Lord sends yeah. discipline our way and yeah. character test. And yeah. uh, I think that is a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably need to get all our references together for that one. But then Romans 5, 3, and not only this, but we also exhort in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes a sense. point because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's given to us. I, I, I would always, you know, I do get asked sometimes about the sort of people I want to work with. Right. And um, it's all, for me, it's, I've learned the lesson is character. Right. Character first, yeah, yeah, and I think God has a way of weeding out people of weaker character for certain tasks. Mm. I don't, I actually believe that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, skills can be taught, and some people have flair for certain skills. Yeah, but character you cannot. It's a, it's an interesting you know, idea because we've talked about this before when it comes down to discipline in fitness. Yeah, you know, you've talked about the marathons. I did my skipathon. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that people are naturally wired for discipline because in my head, my head is screaming all the time. Stop! Why are you skipping hour after hour? Like for you, why are you running up this mountain? Stop! Yeah. Stop your legs moving. Just call it a day. Yeah. But something happens where you say, "I'm not. We're not. We're not moving from here until this is finished." I'm bloody minded. Yeah, I think that's what I'm talking. About. I, I think. I think uh, what I like. I like working with people who are tough-minded. Mm. I'm not saying thick skinned, thick hearted. No. But tough, because I actually think I'm probably thinner skinned than most people realise. Yeah. But I'm very tough minded. And I think to accomplish anything, to get a job done, mm. you've got to be tough minded. You you know, you can't snap in half at the first bit of. So would you say problem. you're, and this is probably a little divergence, are you more task than relationship minded? When it comes to dealing with people, are you like task, 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 let's get this done? Or are you more collaborative? You'd say, actually, let's find a way to do it together. The task is still important, but I value this relationship as well. Or are you more relationship? It doesn't matter about the task, as long as we're still mates. So I wouldn't ditch a friend on the basis that we're not working together anymore. No. But my close friendships are people that I am... I, uh, the people that I really open heart and purpose to are the people that I'm contending with. You're, you're fighting a hill together for something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that think, makes sense. That makes sense. Because yeah, I'm, I, hmm, I probably am about the task, but I'm also about the, the friendship and mm. the relationship. Mm. But for me, when you're contending together with someone, yeah, you want to know they've got your back. You want to know they're not going to snap in half at the first problem. Yeah. 
they're, they're going to charge you for you. You can have the robust conversations, but that's all right. Yeah. I mean, you know, someone looking at me and saying, you ain't going to be able to do that. Don't bother me. It spurs me on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, on yeah. I'll be like that bloke in that thing. Where some people would, you know, yeah. they'd break at that point when they think, yeah, oh, I stuff think so. this. But, but the sort of things I want to take on in life are big. And mm. they, they, there's there's difficulty and obstruction and opposition. Mm. And it's almost like Satan's always whispering to me, you ain't going to be able to do that. Quit, He's whisper, yeah. constantly whispering at me, you ain't going to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah. Or I'm going to send problems your way. Or that mm. person, you can't trust that person. Yeah, yeah. All this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's good. So the people that I want to contend with are, are uh, they're up for it. Yeah. yeah you know, no, and, they, and they've got my back and, and yeah, I've got sense. theirs. So I, heart, heart is big for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing. Masculine. Let me read you this. So, mm. when he's a young man and he's he's an officer cadet school, he he uh, he goes to the, uh, the one of the seal headquarters uh, to have a chat with him about it. And it says the two uh, standing outside the main entrance were two seal instructors surrounded by some young high school sea cadets. The two seals towered over the high school students. Senior Chief Petty Officer Dick Ray. Stood six foot three with broad shoulders, thin waist, deep tan, dark pencil, thin moustache. He was everything I expected the seal to look like. Next, stand next to him is Chief Petty Officer Gene Wentz. Well over six feet, Wentz is built like a linebacker with imposing biceps, steely-eyed glare and cautioned everyone not to get too close. The sea cadets were ushered into the building. With some trepidation, I followed them and stopped at the front desk. I told the young sailor manning the desk my story. I was a midshipman from the University of Texas. Hope to talk with someone about SEAL training. The sailor left his desk momentarily and returning to inform me that the first phase officer, Lieutenant Doug Huth, would be glad to talk to me in a few minutes. And so he waits for this guy. There were photos of SEALs in Vietnam, guys rising out of the waist-deep mud along the Mekong Delta, pictures of camouflaged SEAL platoons returning from a night mission, men loaded with automatic weapons and bandoliers of ammunition boarding a swift boat heading into the jungle. Down the long hall, I saw another man looking at the photos. A civilian by his attire, he was slightly built, almost frail. A mop of dark hair hung beetle-like over his ears. He seemed to be staring in awe at the incredible warriors whose actions were portrayed in the photos. In my mind, I wondered if he thought he had what it took to be a Navy SEAL. Looking at these photos, did he really think he was tough enough to endure the training? Did he think his small frame could carry a heavy rucksack and a thousand rounds of ammunition? Hadn't he seen the two SEAL instructors who were just at the front door? Massive men who clearly had the right stuff. I felt a pang of sorrow that someone had misled this fellow, maybe encouraged him to leave his comfortable life as a civilian and try SEAL training. A few minutes later, the sailor from the front desk calmly walked down the corridor and escorted me to Lieutenant Huff's office. Doug Huff was also a recruiting poster for the SEALs, tall, muscular, brown, wavy hair. He looked sharp in his Navy khaki uniform. I sat in a chair across from Huff's desk and we talked about SEAL training and the demands of the program. Huff told me his experiences in Vietnam, what life would be like in the teams if I graduated from SEAL training. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see the thin man in civilian clothes as he continued to gaze at the photos on the wall. Like me, he must have been waiting to see Lieutenant Huff in hopes of learning more about SEAL training. It made me feel good about myself knowing I was clearly stronger, more prepared than another man who thought he could survive the rigours of being a SEAL. In the middle of our conversation, Lieutenant Huff suddenly stopped talking, looked up from his desk and yelled to the man in the hall. I stood up as Huff motioned the thin man to come into his office. Bill, this is Tommy Norris, he said, giving the thin man a bear hug. Tommy was the last SEAL Medal of Honour recipient from Vietnam. 
Huth added. Norris smiled, somewhat embarrassed by the introduction. I smiled back, shook his hand and laughed at myself. This seemingly frail, mop-haired man who I doubted he could make it through training was Lieutenant Tom Norris. Tom Norris, who had served in Vietnam, who had on successive nights gone deep behind enemy lines, rescued two down airmen. This was Tom Norris, who on another mission was shot in the face by the North Vietnamese forces and left for dead, only to be rescued by Petty Officer Mike Thornton, who had later received a Medal of Honor for those actions. This was Tom Norris, who battled back from his injury to be accepted into the FBI's first hostage rescue team. This quiet, reserved, humble man was one of the toughest seals in the long history of the teams. In 1969, Tommy Norris was almost booted out of SEAL training. They said he was too small, too thin and not strong enough. But much like the young soldier in my class, Norris proved them all wrong. And once again showed that it's not the size of your flippers that counts. It's just the size of your heart. Mm. That's good, that, isn't it? Tommy Norris. Is it? <laughs> Tommy Norris. Is it all about the size of your heart? I think it's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. And that does open up the the potential... For so many blokes to to realise and become the men of God that we believe we're called to be. The question is, mate, the size of your heart for what? Yeah. Well, like we it. don't the size of your heart to be a warrior mm. or a man of God. Mm. Like is is this all about you? Is yeah. it about Jesus Christ? Mm. Is it about his kingdom? I I I uh I posted something on um Facebook and uh, oh, yeah, I'll put a little verse up there the other day. Uh, uh where was it? Uh, no, I just gotta find it. Here we go. Might have to pause this bit because I can't find it. <laughs> I only posted it the other day. Oh dear. Well, while you're looking, I'll, I'll do some talking. Go on, but I, d I do think you've raised a valid point, and I. I guess it is how big a heart is for what. Yeah, and I, I do. I, do I know I, I can't find it. I can't find it because I'm looking at a different version. Different Bible. Different Bible. Here we go. Acts 20. Come on. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what happened to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds mm. and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly to the gospel of the grace of God. That, that I mean, that is Acts 20, uh, 22 yeah. to 24. I consider my life as nothing. I, my, I, my heart is big for Christ. What matters is the gospel of grace. What matters is the gospel of the kingdom. I, I can testify solemnly to, to the kingdom of God. Nothing else matters. So the question is, what is your heart big for? Mm. If your heart is big for God, if you can fashion that, if you, and maybe the discipline piece is, it's not making your bed, it's your daily routine, it's mm. you, it's the Christ following, it's, it's building that in, that fashions your heart, and then your heart is for God. And then you can suck up a multitude of pain, can't you? You, and obstruction and, and yeah, yeah, opposition. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But do you have to get that discipline in before the passion and the heart comes, or does it, is it the passion and the heart, and then you find the discipline? Well, let's think. What happens when you give your life to Christ? You get full of His Spirit. You you're overwhelmed. The world seems different, and you're you're on cloud nine. It's mm. like I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. Mm. Like utterly, like, to this day, twenty second of April, nineteen ninety, utterly mm. overwhelming. You ain't gonna live off that. No. No. They ain't going to live off it. 
I mean, it's a fact. Mm. If you're going to live off your conversion experience or some moment in worship, you're stuffed. Mm. You're going to crash. How many Christians do we see up and down, up and down, mm -hmm. up and down, mm -hmm. looking for the next buzz? Mm -hmm. Ain't going to do it. You'll build a discipline. Yeah. And for some of us, it's easy, and some of us, it's not. I'm, I'm a, a chaotic brain. I'm a plate spinner. Yeah. I'm a fidget, but I, I've had my disciplines. Yeah, yeah. And and out of discipline comes the relationship, comes the heart. And and I, I guess yeah, and no, I think you're right. And and for me, the beautiful thing is the discipline is, it's like our one step, our baby step towards him yeah the Christ and I think as soon as you even step towards him he's there yeah it's not like your discipline's got to go through a certain amount of levels till he reveal himself to you he's there he wants you to find him so I've got a mate in my church mm. Redeemer King come on who uh, I said to him as you as you're reading the word going he said dry I said well get on it what do you mean the pastoral tactic get on get it get on it I said discipline Read the Bible, whack the wor worship music on. Mm. You're at home doing a bit of decorating or mm. something, whack on the old worship. Mm. You know, listen to some podcasts, just get yeah, on yeah. it, and God will meet with you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now this is a guy, you know, he, he wasn't, I mean, our church is quite charismatic, you know, praying yeah, in the spirit yeah. and prophecy tongues and all that. I mean, he, he wasn't really. Anyway, I caught up with him a few months later and I said, How'd it go? And he said, Well, I did what you said. And I went, yeah, Nothing really happened. He said, then one day I was doing the decorating. I was painting the wall. And I had the worship music on. He said, I felt I was praying in tongues. He said, I swear I was praying in tongues. He said, I was worshipping the Lord. It went on for ages. It's totally changed my Brilliant. life. So he exercises the discipline. The Holy Spirit meets with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not, he can now live off that moment for a couple of months, but he's got to keep the discipline up because mm. that moment will be forgotten. Mm. Do you think there's been a... Let's, let's stretch the narrative here. Do you think there's been a misunderstanding of grace then because often I hear people say well we're under grace that's a bit uh, legalistic all this discipline and having to pray every day and read your bible every day and th there is an argument there where people say oh, it's, it's too legalistic there is in the bible it says don't use grace as an excuse to sin yeah it's in there somewhere that chapter yeah yeah chapter. but it's true yeah like, you know, there's a lot of imperatives used in the Bible, actually. You know, be mm. grafted into the vine. Mm. You know, be holy. You know, when you pray, not when you fast. Mm. Like, there's expectation, mm. isn't there? Yeah, definitely. So, I I mean, hey, do you know what? Uncall it as it is. Yeah, go on. You want to be a lame, weak, up and down, yo-yoing Christian? No. Lean on a bit you. of grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or get some, get some uh, God don't mind. Too. He don't mind. Yeah, no, it'd be all right. I mean, I don't have to do that every day. Watch out. Yeah, watch out. I mean, imagine me saying that to my missus, Karen. You know, I'll talk you know, to you I'm, once I'm married week. to you, but you know, I, I don't feel like it today. Yeah. Don't want to talk to you really. Yeah. Good luck with your marriage. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Say yeah. that to your kids. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Good luck as a dad. Yeah. Sounds a bit harsh, isn't it? But, but we are talking about a state of mind, discipline, saying, I want this. I want my relationship with God to be yeah. more. I want to meet him. I want him to meet with me and shape my life. I think when it goes wrong is when we're prescriptive. Right. Got to be at six o'clock. It's got to be done. You've got to have your Crayola twisties. you got to find a way that works for you, but then do it. Yeah. See, I, I was trapped for a while in the in the Bible devotional notes. And by that, I mean 
Which ones? No, well, none specific. Oh, I don't like, want to you, you had to use any. your devotional notes or you were a sinner? Or, or I wasn't really having a quiet time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or my me, or me daily Bible for the year. If I got behind, it was, I was in October, still reading in January. Yeah. I feel like I'd failed. And then that pushes you away further. Yeah. But I think that's why, if it's too prescriptive, you almost set yourself up to fail. Yeah. So what, what we're saying is perhaps make it a lucid relationship with God. Is that what we're saying? Walking a dog, praying together. Whatever works for you. Because some people, I mean, dare I say, Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren does talk about this a lot. He talks about yeah. the seven or eight different ways that people encounter God. And you get the, you know, the, the naturalist types who yeah. want to be in the outdoors. You get the, the academic types who want to read. You get the people who need to listen to music or create. There's all different. People meet God in different ways. Do mm. the thing that works for you. Mm. It can't replace reading the word. No. But, you know, just, just um, on this discipline thing, this John 15 verse just came into my mind. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch you meet that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. What does that mean? He's snipping bits off. He's disciplining you. He's fashioning you. Because you could look like, you know, super yeah. fruitful, but you'll snip that bit off so you're going to produce more. Yeah, yeah. It hurts when you prune. Yeah, it does. Does it? That's the discipline of the Lord again, isn't it? Mm. But then it says, "Abide in me, and I in you." As the branch cannot bear fruit of its unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You have to choose to abide, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a choice. choice. Yeah, it's a choice. Read your word, worship the Lord, pray, exercise the discipline. So maybe, what is the kingdom equivalent for a man of the code? To making your bed. Hmm. That's a good one. I need to build in that hard routine, maybe. Yeah. Do that first. Accomplish that first piece of relationship as soon as you get up. That's when I do it. Early morning. First thing. Making my waking thought. Yeah, I'm going to try and mix it up a little bit myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want some kind of uh, touch point, some kind of thing that I do. Uh, like, I've got this old metal cross where I hold that cross and I say a prayer mm. or put That's my Bible on the stand and stand in the corner of the room and read yeah. my Bible. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think... I am, I am, by sinful nature, ill-disciplined. By the grace of God, can exercise discipline when yeah. I need to. But yeah. I need to build that discipline routine in that moment. That thing that I do, it doesn't become religious, but it's like, yeah, it's my version of making my bed. I do yeah. think I need something like that. I think I think blokes sometimes do a bit yeah. of a generalised statement. A mate of mine, ex-vicar. Well, I say ex-vicar because he passed away. Lovely bloke, and he used to light free candles at home. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it just helped him visualize. Well, for it him, was a right? thing going find through. your thing. Yeah, yeah. Find your thing. And and just my last question on this to chew over. It, it can be also a journey that we do together. It is a solo run. Yeah. But I do think that's where we advocate the band of brothers stuff coming together as mates because we talk about God, don't we? Like. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the podcast, when we're having a curry, we'll talk yeah, about yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in front of our minds, isn't it? Yeah. We ask each other what we think he's saying, and yeah, and I think that's important for blokes not to be isolated. Yeah, yeah. 
There you go. I think one of the things uh, we need to do is, you know, we've got a whole bunch of stuff out there for mm. the guys, you know, uh, like the U version. Yeah, yeah, the Bible stuff. The Bible studies. Yeah, you can just bosh on that, do a, do yeah. a Bible reading in the mornings. You know, yeah. uh, like we're redoing re this, uh, for those of you not watching the YouTube video, I'm just holding up the the code book with the code card in and um you know we are rewriting it at the moment but there's still you know if you've got a copy of the code as the old one you know just keep rereading the chapters just keep working through them yeah. or there's prayers in them keep saying them or, yeah yeah but, um, you've got a whole bunch of resources out there that people can use can't you yeah I mean, we've got the manuals yeah yeah oh there's loads of stuff mate we, and that's one of the things we try and do is we're trying to resource guys to get into the word of god aren't we yeah to inspire you to pick your bible up I'm trying to think, why do I not, why do sometimes I do that stuff and sometimes I don't? What is it? Well, if you think about your Navy SEALs, there was constant motivation. Harassment. Harassment. In his ear, screaming, you ain't got, yeah. you ain't got the courage for this. You ain't going to make it. Back up and go home. <laughs> <laughs> if you had someone saying to you, visibly, audibly, ringing you up each day, Beachy, you ain't got what it takes. Yeah, don't pray today. Go man. home. You ain't got what it takes. You ain't gonna do it. Imagine that. So maybe it's motivation, but I think maybe it's there's a load of blokes out there that don't know what the battle looks like. Like what does the machine gun nest look like that they're steaming? They don't know. We know. We're trying yeah. to lead a, a movement across the world yeah. Yeah. to tell blokes about Jesus unashamed. Yeah. So we wake up with that battle in mind. Maybe that whole, you know, the X11 symbol we talk about, the 12 codes is the X11. Yeah. Maybe we need some, like, physical representation of that that blokes can hook onto. I think so. Something, yeah, something. Th a you're wrist, in this fight. A wristband uh, or a tattoo or a T-shirt or yeah. a, a, an actual metal X11 something. that goes around your neck. Yeah. So that'd be quite cool, is not it? Just something. Yeah. You look at it every day, touch it. it. The thing is, we, I'm a man of the code. Yeah, that's it, man of the code. I'm following follow Christ. Christ. Yeah, that's that, it's the Christ we follow, not the code. Yeah, but the code is like it's part of the fight. It's why you know we're waking up, we're living this thing. Yeah, stirring, isn't it, mate? Yeah, man. Yeah, we got to come up with something like that. I mean, if people are listening, they got ideas. Yeah, tweet, let's tweet us or something. We've got the new kind of man, haven't we? That's what we've been talking about yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah. can get in touch with... Are you still... No, you're not Rev Beachy. I'm uh, you? at Mr. Beachy on Twitter. Mr. Beachy. At Mr. Beachy. At Mr. Beachy. And you are... Just Nathan Blackaby. At Nathan Blackaby. Yeah. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit. Do you know, I got I one like of the... I like an mystery. I know you do. I got one of the early... Actually, no, I won't say this because it'll totally give away my email address. <laughs> Did you get one of the early what, mate? Yeah. No, go on. Well, no, you can't. Know. Why not? No, you don't think you get flooded with... No, that one, that one emails me. Not in that one anyway. What is it? Well, I got one of the early Google email addresses when Did they were, do? yeah, when they were doing the beta. Yeah, I right. got invited to have a, a an early email, so I got my name. Do you know what I want to do? One of my secret ambitions is. What? Well, it's not an ambition. What? One of my sort of wishful thoughts mm. is that there'll be some bit of tech or something will come out. You know, like when websites first came out and people mm. bought up domain names. Mm then sold them for a fortune. There'll mm. be something that comes out and finally I spot it and I buy an early one for like a quid yeah. of whatever it is yeah. and then one day it's worth millions. Because yeah. obviously I want to use all that money you know, for, the to help for the kingdom. And a little bit for you. Yeah, maybe a Ferrari. 
So let me ask you a question to finish yeah. this off. What would be your dream shot? We talk about the dream shot, don't we? Like if, if in your life, we've talked before about as old blokes sitting yeah. down. Yeah. In our eighties, hopefully, if the Lord ain't taking us home. Yeah. And we want to sit down and say, you know what? We're a good run at that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's for me. Well, it's we've got, had this idea, me, that we've had this conversation. I mean, there are many things that a man might want to achieve in his life. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I think it would be me and you sitting in some bar in Mexico, <laughs> having a little tequila, yeah. sitting in some scummy <laughs> shack covered in dirt, like we're old yeah. men, we're old yeah. men, yeah. just done some gig in Mexico or you know, or like you know, Peru or something, where it's like thousands and thousands <laughs> Peru, of men are still, <laughs> thousands of men are coming to Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're like sitting there going, "How did that happen?" Like we're still amazing, going, yeah, like a global movement of men who surrendered to yeah, Christ. Yeah. All about Christ. Yeah, and we're like mystified, like how yeah. how did that happen? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, just a couple of ordinary blokes having a go. You know, <laughs> sitting in some. It's stupid. a good dream. Yeah, I think that's the dream shot. Is that this? The, the, there's a movement. There's a movement. I, I, yeah. You know, but that's what we're disciplined for. Yeah. Because you keep that picture in focus. We want to see Vision keeps me going. In fact, yeah. actually, uh, I mean, accomplishing the task at the start of the day is no bad thing. But actually, uh. deep inside, uh, vision fuels me. Uh, rescue. Mm. But imagine that. Mm. Some downtown Buenos Aires. 80 years old. You'll be 72. Yeah. Just like crawling. Do you, want, do you want a beer, Carl? Can't, can't drink it. I can't anymore. Stomach ulcers. Give me a quack. Yeah, get, me, get me one of them Argentinian coffees. <laughs> Just done some gig and blokes yeah. at all ages are coming to Christ. That's what want. Surrendered. Leading their families to the Lord. That's Come it. on. Yeah, that's the dream shot. You know, we just keep plugging away, don't we? Take as many to the kingdom as we can. So uh, go to cvm.org.uk. Yeah. Podcasts on all channels. You can go to uh, codelife.org.uk. Uh, yeah. And also, I think uh, worth mentioning, uh, booking sort of gathering. Oh, mate. Uh, for those of you not sure what the gathering Get is, it's uh, gathering. Top Gear and Songs of Praise combined. Uh, it's yeah. a big festival for blokes. Yeah. Communicates Christ. We had a meeting earlier with a sword fighting man. We did, yeah. Uh, car We've got shows, some fun stuff coming yeah, loads up, of fun shit. stuff. Sixteen hundred booked in already, so yeah. I'd get in on it because we do. We will cap it. Yeah. At around two and a half, and there's still months to go. Yeah, so yeah. Um, June. Get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gatheringformen.com. Yeah, gatheringformen.com. Do check that out. It's honestly quite an extraordinary event. I never quite know how to describe it to people, but uh, it's going to be quite something, isn't it? It is. See you there. Bob on. Cheers. Cheers, pal.